Hello, welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are the co-founders of Avocado, an audio publishing platform. And so, so this week, we I think we wanted to talk about something different slightly. Well, maybe not different. I mean, in these episodes, we talk about how we build this company and um, the different approaches. Last week, we were talking about cold emailing. So, you know, how to fill the top of funnel. And so this week, I wanted to talk about our dynamic a little bit between the two founders. So I'm, you know, playing the role of the CTO. I'm the technical co-founder. Colin is your technical, but you, you don't necessarily code. Um, I don't know. How would you describe yourself? I don't want to diminish your value, but you're not the technical co-founder. I am not the technical co-founder. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, my background, I work for a variety of startups in founding and then like product and marketing roles. So probably I'm most first on the marketing side of things. And then I got my MBA. Um, so I, I am one of those dreaded MBA people in <laughs> the startup world. And yeah, I probably am much more hands-on than you would uh, assume like a, a strategy MBA person would be. So like I do the Webflow stuff. In the past, I've done like mock-ups of um, like uh, in Balsamic is what I used mm -hmm. maybe five plus years ago. So I have some exposure to product and like I could hack together you know, Shopify sites and ad plugins and that kind of thing. And uh, I'd say I'm probably most first on the design side of things. Like I've hired designers in the past. And then obviously business is you know, probably definitely what I'm best at, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to give you props. You are, you know, enough to be dangerous, right? It's like, you know, enough of like the, <laughs> the concepts, especially around Webflow. You've definitely converted me to be, I, I have not built a, a WordPress site, I think, since we started working together. We've transition to Webflow and you've been able to, one, be sort of an evangelist of it, but two, uh, you're the one doing 99% of the work on the, the Webflow side of things. I think I've connected our system to Webflow and that's about all, all I've had to touch. Yeah. So I am kind of obsessed with Webflow. It's kind of how I always imagined developing a website should be. Like it's far more intuitive. And as like a des as a designer-y type person, I'm not a designer by any means, but I feel like I have reasonable taste at least for that. And it's far easier to implement something that looks good and functions well and is super fast just using Webflow. Yeah. Yeah. So on this episode, I wanted to talk about, you know, how we've approached or landed on the cadence, the drive, the sort of process for building product. Um, and this might be a little bit more technical, but the goal is is try to you know let people know what our dynamics like, what's which I think works. Um, so a little bit about my background. I've been a software engineer for I don't know 15, 20 years or so. Um, I, you know I started in the early 2000s, you know late 90s, early 2000s, building websites for people, and you know going totally different direction. I was in college, so I was you know in school to be a musician. I went for I ended up getting a music business degree, but by the you know second year of undergrad, I um, was I had a you know a nice business building uh, <laughs> my music professor's websites because nobody had websites back in the day, and so from there you just started you know moving on and on, uh, getting more technical. I moved to New York, and that was kind of a uh, a big shift where I just built software. You know, I just ended up. Uh, getting a bunch of freelance gigs and it was at the time you know a mix of technologies and the idea of a startup wasn't was pretty foreign at the time um but you know fast forward uh, 15 years from there i had built an agency ended up selling it um so 
you know, I've been a manager, but I've always been sort of this player coach um, mentality where I'm still writing code from a day-to-day perspective, but I, you know, had put a team together and picked up a, you know, the one doing all the lead gen and the, the development of um, our business. So, uh, but then I sold the business and, you know, since then I was working at uh, a venture fund, which is how I met Colin. And, you know, he and I sort of started talking about audio, the audio economy. And really, I think the, the first leap into this business was like, Hey, we have to build something. So I think that was like the place I wanted to start, which was like, Finding a technical co-founder is always a hot topic. It's, you know, there's tons of people with great ideas, but, you know, they can't build it. And the idea of raising a bunch of money and running a tech project is, um, you know, in my prior career as a running a development shop, we would love to talk to people who would give us, you know, $50,000, $100,000 to build their, um, you know, V1 of their platform. And we quickly found that the solo CEO or even, you know, a CEO with uh, a team and sometimes even technical, they really didn't know how to run the process and what to expect. So they would kind of put down their requirements on a napkin or lay out their vision for us. And that was a lot of our, our, my initial work, which we didn't really do in this process. We, you know, there wasn't a design sprint. There wasn't a bunch of wireframes. Um, I think the V1 of the avocado app, and I don't know, I think there was no backend. I think we just put audio files on S3 and it made the, the mobile app read from a, you know, a static bucket. There was no database, no login. Um, so I think I just found sort of a React Native template that was for learning and it smashed it in with a audio player. And you know, I, you'll have to tell me your perspective, but I feel like we said it, we wanted to basically build the podcast app, the Apple podcast app, you know, similar functionality. And that was the first launch of it. I, Curious from your perspective, when that launched, like, because I didn't share anything, I just kind of shared, hey, this is what I'm going to do. When you got the first test light build, I don't know, what was your experience of that? Uh, my biggest experience was like, wow, I, I was shocked how quickly you got that out there and how like functional it was. Like it, it hit kind of all the basic features that we wanted in that first version. And whether that was, you know, the proper strategy or not. I was generally impressed. I thought the design needed some work as all this stuff probably still does and will for a long time. But yeah, I was just, uh, I was pretty impressed by the whole process. And I want to say like, generally we would, we'd share examples of other things we liked as like, we'd find stuff on dribble and we would pass in that back and forth as like basic designs or other apps and like features we liked from that. So that is probably how we cobbled together the ge- like general idea, more so than uh, wireframing anything. Yeah. So, you know, when I think about this, it's and and by the way, thank you for being impressed. I, I love hearing when people are impressed with me. But <laughs> <laughs> let's keep talking about that. Um, no, in all seriousness, you know, it's. I think there is there's a, an approach like had you gone through the traditional route of let's say you paid for an agency to build it you probably would have seen like a bunch of drawings and designs and this would have taken a lot longer but you know we're taking the startup approach and it's like let's just get something out let's get in our hands let's use it let's see how it functions let's put it in other people's hands and from there you know i think we built a back end for things and then i think the first big push after having the basic app up was how do we get people on the platform? And we've talked about this a little bit more, 
But we started this iteration process. And that first iteration after the initial build was, how do we get audio on here? And so that was reaching out to people on Udemy and making an easy way for them to upload their video files, converting them to audio, and boom, they, they have an audio course. So, you know, while that's not the direction we are after now, it, we were able to add a ton of people to the platform. But the, the reason I bring this up is like, we just kind of discovered a dynamic that I think works well. I think we started putting, you know, feature ideas in Trello, prioritizing them based on, you know, what do we think is the most important thing? It, it, like there's the quadrant, right? The high cost, high value, high value, low cost, you know, basically look at things or what are the, what's the, the lowest hanging fruit? And that's what we would always tackle. And I think most startups go this route, even if they are paying somebody or they, you know, hire a developer. But the, the big thing that I learned in my early career, and I would give this as a piece of advice to founders out there that, you know, if you don't have a technical co-founder, or even if you do, is to deliver something like every week or every other week, even if it's not that impressive, or if it's a minor change or even a single feature, is to like get in the cadence of shipping something every week or two. And I think that helps. Because um, I think as I look back, you know, we're working on something right now where it is taken longer than I'd like, or a feature that you know, takes, you know, maybe three weeks. And if, if you don't show and tell every now and then, you can kind of get away from the actual feature you're trying to build, like maybe you overbuild. There's a handful of, of you know, thoughts around this using sort of the agile methodology, but just showing and telling every two weeks is, is a good method to be in. That's something that we drilled in at the agency I ran is like, you gotta, gotta show that stuff. So that's my one piece of feedback. I think um, deciding what to build is the other big question that we're still, I think we still struggle with. Like we don't have a perfect record of everything that we built gets used. I don't know, when, when you think about what goes into Trello, I know there's one that, you know, having features that are, we get feedback from customers. That's definitely the highest priority. Things that we maybe think is, you know, this feature is missing or maybe a competitor has it. Um, how do you think about, you know, what to build next? So the easiest way that I know is just to become like a power user of the product. So that's what I'm doing now. I have two courses in there, two audio courses, and I'm working on another one that I'll finish this week in all likelihood and start pushing out. And then you just bump into it as you spend more and more time with the product. Like, oh God, this is a little confusing. I wish this was here instead of there. Or like, I kind of really need these features to start getting some volume on the courses. That was like all the integrations with Facebook and Reddit ads and that kind of thing. And yeah. then um, like conversion rate optimization and changing the landing pages slightly. I think of it that way. And then uh, I, probably generally like I don't like to fire off hot takes or anything I don't like to hop on the phone and be like Brent this should be this and this should be that I like to think about it quite a bit and then I, I kind of write it in my notes app I send it to you on Trello or I send it to you on Slack which I'm trying to move away from I don't like to you know fire things off on Slack too often so I think Trello gives me the opportunity to really formulate stuff so you know I don't waste any of your time building something that doesn't seem impactful yeah, I, I would say I, I definitely appreciate that. And I, I would, let's talk about that for a second. It's like how to deliver feedback. Trello's great. Uh, I think anecdotal feedback is, can be annoying. Like I don't, I've I don't not gotten any from you, but I, I'm drawing on past experience with either clients or 
people that, you know, even send text messages of like, why does this work this way? It's like, you know, it's different when you're co-founders because I do feel like there's a lot more of a direct communication. But again, for those out there that are listening to this, that maybe hired an agency or a single developer or went with an Upwork or whatever to get your V1 out and you're trying to, you know, you get that first version in your hands, you're trying to figure out how do I deliver my feedback? It's like getting on a call is probably the best bet. That's, you know, and we, we talk twice a week, you know, regular cadence, usually more, but, you know, writing down your feedback is great. Firing that off in email or Slack is not so great just because it will be misinterpreted likely. Um, but like put a, do- uh, put a document together, walk through it on a screen share, give feedback. I, I think we work well with this. Like there is generally this idea that an understanding that neither one of us necessarily know what is right. And then you can use evidence like other products as evidence is like, Hey, I'm, and again, I'm a big fan of this is let's look at like uh, Instagram. How do they do login? How do they do forgot password? All the patterns that everyone's used to. It's just like find a company that's out there that has a good experience and copy it. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's a good way to build, you know, standards and conventions. But going back to delivering feedback, I think that can create some tension where, and again, I, I want to put on the hat of like that some people are being the client and some people are being the vendor is uh, if you didn't put a bunch of time into mapping out and writing requirements and, you know, you're, you're basically, as you see the product, that's how the feedback gets generated. That can be a really wasteful way to build a product. So it's like, you know, you and I may talk through the, those requirements and initial features of like, Hey, it's going to be like this app, but for this, or, you know, that's going to look differently in both of our minds and the details will come out once you get it in your hand. And instead of, you know, putting a long list of changes, uh, which is good for your own use. Don't send that. I think it's, it may be more effective to, you know, catalog everything, but go through it on a call um, and just, Go into it knowing that unless you did already give that detailed feedback, which usually most people do not, there really are two ways of building technology. One is to do a full set of requirements up front, and you can read your Microsoft Code Complete analysis of this, which there have been studies. It's like, which one is the more effective way, like the quote unquote agile way of let's come up with an understanding for the next two weeks, work on that, and then reassess, and then come up with an understanding for the next two weeks, and then set shorter hurdles versus a let's spend eight months writing a binder full of requirements and hand that off to a developer. You know, I won't, I would, let's not, you know, get into that, but it's, those are the two different methodologies, I think from a high level. Are they, I mean, are they really two viable alternatives? It seems it's agile versus waterfall, right? And isn't everyone right. using agile? I don't know. You know, I think there are systems out there, uh, avionics, you know, the more, I mean, for a startup that's building a, an audio storefront, probably no one's going to use waterfall, but here's where it gets goofy. Where if you, again, if you are an, a, uh, a founder, you've got this idea and then you hire an agency and they're probably going to do agile. They can't really give you an end price. So you're going to say, Hey, hmm. I want, I want to get this done at this price. And they're going to say, great, we're going to make some estimates, but we can't guarantee it. Or we'll have a not to exceed value, which once they exceed it, you're going to you know, have a, a conversation about it, which you might be able to get done for some price, but that's where the tension is in, introduced is if you have to deal with, you know, finite resources, you may say, Hey, well, I'll go back and I'll pe- sharpen my pencil and I'll draw up every screen and I'll draw up every functionality. And so there is a tendency to create waterfall 
work product in order to limit cost or have a better understanding of cost. But, you know, in general, most, most people realize like, Hey, you know, let's break this into smaller pieces. And as more, what I call this, like uh, immersive or sorry, not immersive emergent requirements gathering, which was what I call how I work in general. Right. It's like the requirements will emerge as we use the product. And I think that's a fair way to expect people to, to work with things to just understand there's some unknowns, but you know, the reason I left that business or the, the agency, one of the biggest reasons was this is like, I have to basically give an estimate to a client. And if we go over, that's on me. And if we go under, that's, you know, same deal. So it's sort of gambling. So anyways, it, there are people, I think, still doing things waterfall. I'd imagine like, and I'm speaking out of turn, I don't know for a fact, I imagine things like, you know, Excel, the building of Excel, is, things are going to be run in a, a little bit more structured process. There is a benefit to it, but it requires all parties to be super involved and engaged in the, the first months. And again, months without a work product with, you know, you're going to map everything out. I, yeah. I remember having somebody on my team back when I had the agency and they came from that environment where they were handed a binder. I think they had worked at Fidelity or something. And they were handed a binder of requirements and they seemed to, when working with me, kind of expect that of like, Hey, you know, I can't be held accountable to these requirements. You're kind of throwing them at me. Um, nothing's written down, you know, other companies have worked that way. And I think they, some of them still do. And if you have those resources, but they generally don't fit for startups, you know, by yeah. the time you write your requirements binder, those months, uh, the market has changed and, you know, you should have shipped something. Um, There's yeah, just I, so much ambiguity for like what we're building. It doesn't, uh, it's just completely uncharted territories doing these audio courses. And you know, yeah. both of us are just operating with our kind of best guess of what this should be or should look like. I think that's a really good point. I think then the other thing that like we actually haven't talked about, we should, you know, use this time to air our grievances. But like, as you mentioned, you go through, and I know that you do, and I appreciate it, but you seem to go through feedback gathering and prioritization in order to save the developer time, or in case, in our case, my time, you know, it's like, I can be working on new features. It's like, as two co-founders, we both know we're working on this project from a development perspective it is more it tends to be more tangible to say okay well there's a mobile app there's probably amount of time there the web app the back end you know whatever other chunks of work that we've put together but i i wonder if that um and i've observed it before but i'd like to think that i haven't participated in it uh too much but that this like prima donna attitude of like the developer time is worth everything because that's the only thing that's generating work product but I'm curious what your perspective is around it. Cause I, I mean, I would say I have a lot of appreciation for, you know, uh, the flexibility we have and, you know, you are always trying to put things together in a way that's complete and not like, Hey, here's an idea, go figure it out. But that, that's my perspective of this dynamic. And I, I, I think it's something to strive for. Right. But again, I, I'm, I've seen situations where you know, the developer time is precious, but then the developer, effectiveness can go down as well when you have sort of this i expect everything to be prepared for me and i expect you guys to do all the testing and like the work burden could easily shift off of my plate and i'd say oh you know there's a, an opportunity for a developer to sort of segment themselves off and put themselves in a, in a little bit of an ivory tower but curious your perspective or experience with it 
Uh, yeah, I, I would say every startup I've ever been a part of, like the developer time was the most precious. So you kind of want to get the most out of them. And I guess I, I brought that over here to some extent. If you are, you have more business skills than maybe the average developer or definitely the average developer. So like you could do some of the stuff that I do, but I can't really do any of the stuff that you're doing. So like, I am pretty cognizant of that. And I, I try to I get, make the most of your time. So maybe I, you know, tackle or at least say I'll tackle more than I should. I don't know <laughs> if that's what you're like trying to get at. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just saying it, it's, uh, you know, it's something we have actually haven't talked about. I mean, for the listeners out there, this isn't, um, we're trying to have a Ricky Lake moment or, or Jerry Springer moment or something, but, uh, I think it's, it's a dynamic that everyone has to work through. It's like you and some people talk about it explicitly. I think some co-founders, you know, are in an environment where they're, you know, they show up to the, obviously with COVID we haven't, I think the last time I saw you was probably a couple of months ago, like face to face, but yeah. having that physical location, maybe, you know, remove some of this stuff and it could be more apparent of like, you're sitting next to each other for six months at a time. And there's no, it's obvious that what people are working on and how they're spending their time and, you know, what's going into something that's fruitful versus not. I mean, cause I know the, the reason for bringing this up is in part, as in, I know that there have been features that I felt passionate about, like, or I feel like we we're missing like ratings. So we added ratings. It kind of went into the app uh, update not too long ago. Maybe this was a couple months. It was definitely before we pivoted, but you could rate the course. And it's like, mm. I spent a week on that. I don't know. I mean, I had to build a back end, had to build the front end, had to build, you know, there's an email functionality to it uh, to prompt you for a rating. You know, it was a couple days of work, but like, was that the best use of time? I don't, I, I mean, I'm looking right now, not a lot of people have used that rating feature. It's kind of buried. Um, yeah. So, so that came yeah. up because we had a creator that's like, hey, I'd really like to get feedback on my courses. I think that is kind of a core you know, piece of selling a product and getting feedback. So it's not, hasn't been used that much yet, but it will be used, I think, in the future. I think it's like a core piece of you know, selling any product. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I guess you're right. There are, there are a handful of things that I feel like we're just starting from nothing. So there's just, there's a lot of stuff like had there been a platform that we could build on that that would have been one of the things that I already had, but that's just part of building your own platform is you really do have to start from scratch and, you know, our user system and our creator system purchases, everything's kind of hand rolled, which I, I think we should talk about that as it might be one of the last points, but I think we should talk about what is it like today to you know had it, it we're almost one year into like prototyping from the point i think we started prototyping things and i'm just trying to think of like had you done it now is there a way to have done this with like a no code or an existing platform and i don't think there's been anything changed except for i did get to try out draftbit which is basically like a web flow for mobile apps and I'm wondering if maybe that would have helped us speed things along slightly. Um, uh, so a year ago, I, they're a startup as well. They've raised you know, a little bit of money. And I think we're both friends with all the folks over there. They were not as far along as they are today. So maybe it's you know a credible opportunity, but it was very expensive back then. When I was talking to the team, it was like 10 to 20K to even like think about doing your first iteration with them mm. because it was much more like, using developer resources over there, basically. Got it. Um, potentially it's, you know, I don't know if it's approaching being like a web flow for. It feels apps. like that. 
I, I was really impressed. I didn't spend a ton of time and I didn't publish anything. So it's run, uh, it seems like the, on very similar architecture that we are basically a React Native application. So that's like you, I'm writing JavaScript and it produces out um, you know, a, an iOS application, Android application. They're using a, a technology called Expo, which is built on you know, part of the React Native ecosystem. And um, the interface feel, I, you know, I know Webflow now really well. I felt right at home. I knew exactly where to go for everything. Um, and again, I only just played around a little bit. That would be one thing, I guess, in terms of a backend, it still seems like something you'd have to, I can't think of, you know, registration user system to do the things we would need to. But that's one thing I try to see. I think my tendency tends to be, let's build it from scratch. And, you know, that's what I'm good at, but it can also be super wasteful if some of these things already exist. Yeah, if I were, I mean, I guess I looked at doing this a little bit before talking with you more and deciding to pursue this of like, how would you kind of prove that there's demand for audio courses? And I think you could just make your own audio course. You sell it basically like a paid podcast mm -hmm. and it's not a perfect example, but you could prove there's demand there. And maybe from that, you know, intrigue, uh, like a CTO or a developer or raise money based on that. And then you could have pursued, you know, the bigger project. Yeah. Which I, we kind of, I maybe didn't reverse. And now I'm building an audio course, even though I didn't really want to do that. But I, <laughs> I still feel like it's kind of the way to test the, the product. So yeah. dog fooding is, is one of the, I think, central thoughts around building your own product. You have to be one of the power users. You have to be in the thick of it. I guess that that's, might be one other thing was like right when we, started launching, I think I'm trying to get better at this is like writing better release notes. Cause I'll just say, Hey, this, by the time I'm done building the feature and I ship it, I'm like tired and exhausted. And then it's like, here you go. When really at the end, I need to put a video together. Like, here's how you find it in the admin. Here's how you use it. Here's, you know, it's some of the things are slightly apparent, like, you know, the early stuff, but um, as we progress, things are getting more and more complicated and in depth. And that that's a normal progression, right? It's like, um, you know, we're not even talking about tech debt yet, which uh, is another interesting sort of tech related conversation. But, you know, for an early stage company, we don't have, you start with zero customers, you know, you don't want to overbuild anything. You want to get to market as fast as possible and then start working around that. And so everything is easy to build at first and fast to build at first. And so once you surpass that one year, you know, certain amount of um, users, you, you start to run into, okay, well, we can't change that because I'm going to have to, you know, everything starts to become more and more interconnected, which is, um, you know, where some of the more modern thought around software development comes in. It's like, okay, you now have a real system and, you know, this is a whole other subject, but, you know, what's your approach to testing, unit testing, and, you know, how we tackle testing is, hey, I've, I've launched something, put it on staging or production, give it a shot, see how it works. And we'll kind of watch the system carefully, which I think is a good way for an early stage company at our scale to handle releases, but it quickly gets more complicated as the user base grows. Yeah. And I, I always, we talked about this in the previous podcast, just like set it live. And so you always do the staging thing. And it, it seems to always work out pretty well, but there is a bunch of feedback there that um, is good to, I guess, implement. Yeah, I, you know, I just don't want to deploy something and then it's like seven o'clock and I'm, you know, winding down and relaxing and then you, you know, get, a, I get notifications when errors happen on the system. Those, you know, 
generally chill my my blood when I see those come through. Oh God, what happened? You know, did you break something? Because it's just it's a hard thing to do with a, a two person team. I mean, we have some extra help with Taylor. I mean, she's been super helpful in you know just giving a, a fresh perspective. And yeah, I mean, another part is starting to build up. We were working on that and I kind of abandoned it. And it, it's on me as like building up a beta testing group, a group of power users that we have uh, that we send new releases to. That That is a great strategy, but I've been kind of poor about organi organizing that. Um, but so far, so good. I mean, I think a lot of our system has been proven by real users that are, you know, like the, the big larger paid cohorts that are coming through with like, uh, you know, these two to 300 user groups that, okay, if we run into two or three emails of people running into errors, that's, that's a pretty good average. And that ended up being the way things went. I feel like the approach that we've been taking for testing has been good, maybe a little too cautious, but I'd rather for my own sanity, rather err on that side than the other. Absolutely. So I would say things have been like actually shockingly solid, right. With bringing on these cohorts of like two to 300 people and not like two to 300 tech savvy folks like these are yeah. just a random sampling of a financial company or something like that and so it's like i don't know uh the most basic web browsing folks and they are running into like pretty minor issues and often figuring it out so that yeah. is a pretty big endorsement for them for yeah no that was that went really well and and so far all those those groups have gone really well and so i just i the thing that gives me the most uh anxiety is we sell somebody on this, they're going to introduce it to their group. So we are there for a reflection. You know, if our system doesn't work, their product doesn't work, their services don't work. So we have to hold ourselves to a little bit higher standard. And thankfully, you know, I think our biggest problem has been UX. It's, it hasn't been necessarily like a code problem. It's been, hey, I, you know, they're going through a flow that maybe doesn't make sense, or we didn't really think it through the right way from their context. So they're getting lost along the way. And, and of that, it's been, you know, maybe five to 10 people of a 300 person group that, you know, are confused. And so we make up for that by having great customer service. Absolutely. <laughs> customer yeah. Well, I mean, this is part of the thing. I mean, I feel like we're doing pretty good when it comes to, you know, communication, which I think is probably the hardest part between a technical co-founder and non-technical co-founder is like um, a good you know, communicative working relationship that doesn't get into like, I think, you know, I've been in some where not so much a co-founder, but just working on part of a team where it's like, if the founder that, you know, and again, it's like, who's taking tech leadership, there seems to be more of like, we're both kind of pushing this boulder up the hill versus somebody on the team sometimes will take full control and then own all of, you know, a certain domain. And then as the product grows, how do you decide how to chip that apart and kind of pull it from their hands and those can be kind of tough transitions as the company grows, but it's all part of the fun. Part of the fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's probably it for, you know, I don't know how, how I would title this, this episode, but just, you know, dynamics between tech co-founder and non-technical co-founder and some tips to, uh, you know, be successful. Yeah. On that note, um, thanks for listening. Take care. Yeah. Thanks for listening.